Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of First Time Dads. I am Richard Innes. And I'm Steve Mile. And this week we caught up with uh, Dr. William Sticksrud and Ned Johnson. They've got a book out called The Thriving Child. Uh, and it sets the uh, point that children and young adults today are more anxious than they've ever been. Uh, and they've got a hands-off parenting technique which they've uh, brought together from their experience as a clinical neuropsychologist and Ned's experience tutoring hundreds of anxious kids. Uh, as you'll hear in a second, uh, Bill and Ned are both American, um, and they were not with us in the studio uh, this week. They were um, in Washington and New York. So we hooked up via Skype uh, for a very high-tech chat about exactly why you should just let your kid be your kid. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, do you want to start off with telling us a little bit about your book uh, and what the book t- it was designed to do? Sure. Um, th- this is Bill, and... Uh, Ned and I, for years, we're, we're noticing just how many kids that we see are are anxious, and also how many kids we see are either obsessively driven to achieve or aren't very motivated. And what what we discovered really is the is the thing that links these things is a sense of control. That there's there's tons of research that suggests that a sense of control even with little kids, is really, it's, it's correlated with everything positive, everything we, we could want for our kids, that and a low sense of control is extremely stressful. And you don't become a self-motivated kid or adult if you don't have a sense of autonomy, a sense that this is my life. So we wrote a book that we really think about as a how-to manual for parents to, to raise kids who become self-motivated and who basically... Can, can handle stressful situations, can function well under stress, and are willing to, to take on challenges. Okay, okay. And, it's, and you guys, we were talking slightly before we start recording about being parents yourself. What was it like, you know, parenting uh, your kind of, well, partly grown-up children now, um, and how has that changed to today, do you think? Well, from, uh, this is Bill again, and my, my kids are 36 and 32. Wow, okay. And it, so it's, it's, it was a different kind of thing, although I remember when my kids were very little, still being stunned by how many kid, people in the Washington, D.C., how many parents that I worked with in the Washington, D.C. area were, were terrified about, about their kids and, and constantly uh, making sure that their kids were, were being pushed to the max and, and, and everything. Um but it was the, the, the greatest difference uh, raising children now is the influence of technology. And I think that, 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 that digital technology has made childbearing much more challenging. And we, we, we can certainly talk about that. Uh, but I, I will also tell you that, that, that the, the wisest thing anybody ever said to me about raising children. So I was talking to somebody and, who, who had a young adolescent, like a 12 or 13 year old. And he said the coolest thing about raising an adolescent is getting to see when they come home from school 
who they're deciding to become. Yeah. And that perspective that, that our job is not to make a kid turn out a certain way, but, but to, 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 to guide them and to help them become who they want to be. That, that's, that, was really, that made parenting a, a much less stressful for me. Yeah, do you I think, so, sorry Steve, to jump in, but do, do you think, Bill, that, that that philosophy that you've just outlined there, that perhaps we've lost that a little bit over the last, let's say, for you know, just arbitrary number here, but over the la- last couple of decades, that actually that now we perhaps try to have more control over our children now than than we did say when you you know around the time you were you were having your children do you think there's been that that, that sort of sea change Yes, yes. And th- that's why we wrote the book. I mean, our, our perception was that there's all this research talking about how important autonomy is for kids and, and, and kids having a healthy sense of control. And all the forces in the universe seem to be conspiring against kids developing the sense of autonomy or control. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot about uh, kids suffering from uh, mental health problems, uh, particularly you hear tragic stories in the in the UK around uh, kids going into exams and exam stress and, and the kind of testing element of life that, that, right. that seems right. to be, uh, you know, happening more and more. Yeah. And, and, and part of it, it seems to me that, that, that this is Ned, that, that um, the families and kids and probably teachers as well have this this is sort of narrower and narrower focus on on what a path to success looks like and that that all the all you know all the success and all the wonderful things in life all run through being a top student mm-hmm. and of course you know we have a chapter in our book called called alternate roots and and, and simply the idea that there are many many paths to success. I mean, I was reflecting, if you, you know, the, the, the great TED talk by Sir Ken Robinson about Gillian Lynn, who just passed, I think yesterday or the day before, uh, you know, and at the, he, he talks about, you know, her mom coming in and, and, and the, the head of school and worried about was she a student who had learning disabilities. And the, 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 the head of the school said, look at her. She doesn't have learning disabilities. You don't have a student who's a, who's a bad learner. You have a dancer, right? And she went off mm. to have this unbelievably successful you know, career, I mean, just in a beautiful life, bringing art to the world. And, and, but who gives it, who, who, who cares less, who could care less if she was any good at chemistry or, or taking her, her math test. It just, it, it just didn't matter. And so when, when kids have this idea and parents as well, that everyone's competing for the same narrow number of slots of top grades and top universities, it, it has to be crazy making because by definition, only 10% of kids can be top 10% in school. And the other 90%, like, well, why even bother? Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it seems to start, we've got very young kids, as we explained, um, very early, this kind of measuring your child against some kind of success thing. And some of it's uh, uh, medical professionals who come in and say, "Is your can your kid pick up a, uh, a I don't know, a, a Cheerio between his mm-hmm. fingers? Uh, you know, does it understand the concepts of yes and no? Uh, and you're, you're made. Yeah. You're given like a mark. These milestones they drive they drive me crazy. Right. This idea that you have to because and I'm sure I don't want to speak for you guys, but I'm sure you'll agree. Every child is different. I'm sure that's that's you know. I'm sure we can all agree on that. Um, and the idea that at 15 months at 16 months they should be doing X, Y, and Z it seems crazy to me. Well, and I think they're I think they're averages, right? And you're trying to see, you know, but the idea that the, 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 if this is where the average is, people want, well, my kid should always be above average, right? Mm-hmm. When my son was just about, oh, he was maybe 10 months, 11 months old, we were at our Thanksgiving uh, d- d- dinner with family. 
And my cousins were there and they had this son who's this phenomenal athlete. And I remember watching them, they're sitting there and my son had just what you described, what we call the pincer grip, right? Could yeah. sit there with his index finger and his thumb and, and pick up an individual pea and put it into his mouth, one another. <laughs> I mean, the most elegant thing in the world, right? Yeah. And his cousin picked up an entire fistful of peas and mashed potatoes and pretty much smashed it on his forehead and some of it dribbled down <laughs> into his mouth, right? right? Yeah. Now, my son is this beautiful artist and pianist and, and still has all of that fine motor skill dexterity. But his cousin, who's also a 16-year-old, runs like a 440 mile. I mean, he's a brilliant <laughs> athlete. Wow. And so he has those gross motor skills. My son has my athletic ability, which I assure you is kind of sad. But, 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 they, but they have just completely different ways to contribute to the world. And, and so we just, we, you know, back to Bill's point, you know, we, we, we think that we have to figure out who our kid is going to be. And it's a little bit like, people who, who are, are sort of topiarists, like they're trying to kind of to cut and nick and, and shape their kids to be this or, or that the kind of tree. But in many ways, until they're 14, 16, 18, 24, 30, we, we may not have any idea what kind of tree they're actually meant to be. Mm, mm, mm. And I suppose that's how we, we, we can kind of create this anxiety in our kids, I suppose, from a worryingly young age. I mean, I, I, I wonder... Even now, you know, my, my boy is 16 months old and I, and I wonder if almost on some subconscious level I am beginning to try to push him in certain directions and, uh, you know, and you wonder how quickly this anxiety can, can come about in children through kind of this misguided, uh, yeah. I mean, I well-intentioned parenting. I 100% find that with, with Jackson, my son. I mean, we go to a football, uh, football class on a Saturday morning and I call it slightly jokely football training. I mean, he's two and a half. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But uh, he now calls it football training. And the kids are asked to do, it's not just kicking a, a soccer ball into a goal. It's mm-hmm. There's a series of coloured cones. They have to go and pick up the red cone, bring it back, the yellow cone, bring it back and do it in different orders. And if he's not doing it and he's distracted by a bird that's landed on the on the the field but I, I get I can feel myself getting anxious mm. and I, I'm willing him to uh, and you know I've got almost got cross with him a couple of times he's not doing it. and you kind of have to take yourself out of it and say this is a two and a half year old boy you just want him to enjoy the experience rather than think about it as you know it's a I'm pleasing daddy you know or not scenario yeah how, how early do you guys see this happening well two, two of the things that are different about raising children now than 10 years ago or 20 years ago is that kids spend so much more time now from a young age, just as you're saying, in organized sports. And as they get a little bit older, it's so much time in front of a screen. And what's, what's gotten moved out, very unfortunately, is just play. Mm. And, and if, I, if I could offer one suggestion to parents of young children, it's let them play. And, and, and I, we see preschool t- teachers now who, when, when we talk about the, the incredible benefits of dramatic play, of, of imaginative play, rough and tumble play for, for kids, and they say, well, we, we can get the kids to dress up, but they don't know how to play. And they don't know what to do once and because they're so used to the structured adult-led activities yeah. like sports and being in front of these, these pre-programmed the things on, on, on front of a screen. And I, my, my, my granddaughters are five and two and a half, 
and they've never been in front of a screen. And they're just starting, the five-year-olds just starting to take a gymnastics class. But, but I'm with them for two or three hours at a time, and they play the whole time. They're constantly making up games. Yeah, they're just, they're, it, it's so beautiful to watch. And I think that's the thing that's been eclipsed. And mammals play. All species of mammals, the young, they play. That's how they learn to be adults. And I think that, that if there's one thing that we can do, it's, it's get kids to just remember that they play to develop. Yeah, I love it more than anything on a Sunday morning when mm. the Sunday paper arrives and I'm sat in the armchair reading the paper and my, my son's just on the floor, just with his cars or his trains, just moving them around. And obviously there's something going on that he's he's inventing a story and, and you know, just mm. sit and watch him. It's just a, a wonderful, a wonderful. And I don't think I'd get the same uh, emotional uh, feeling by watching the back of his head as he was sat, if he was sat watching a, a cartoon. Can I can yeah, I ask a question, guys, on that on that subject? Because and I I wonder sometimes how parental anxiety leads to this sort of anxiety. So to give you an example, yeah. um, I I completely on board with the idea of what you're saying that kids should be left to play. Sometimes, and I suppose it's more parental guilt than parental anxiety. If I if I'm allowing my boy to sit and play with his trains and his toys. And I'm almost feeling bad that I'm not engaging with him. And so there, there are occasions, I think, maybe where I almost crash into his playtime by thinking, right, I'm here, I'm his dad, I need to be interacting with him in some way. Um, but the feeling yeah, I yeah. get potentially from what you're saying is that sometimes it's actually better to leave him by himself to have that time to play on his own. Is that is that fair? Well, I think most adults are not very good players anymore. No, <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Most adults kind of find it a little, little bit boring after a while. And I think that uh, – so ideally, we, we, uh, if, if kids – kids playing on themselves, using the, by themselves, using their own imagination is terrific. Play, kids playing with other kids is also terrific. And there's some ways that we can play with our kids. Uh, but but they, what kids love is they love playing just knowing that a parent's nearby. Knowing that a parent's watching, knowing that a parent's available, it makes them feel very safe and secure. And there's, I don't know if there's anything better you can do than just sitting and, and watching your kid play. No, exactly. My son calls out for me if I'm not in the room and he's playing. And you come through to the other room and he doesn't want you to do anything. He just wants you know, to know that you are within shouting distance and you'll respond to his, his cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what what we you know if you're a parent that's listening to this and we you know uh, people kind of uh, give us feedback the, uh, a lot of the time from the podcast and you're, if you're a parent listening to this and you're slightly anxious and you're thinking oh my god I've got my my uh, three year old signed up for like you know French Latin Spanish they're doing piano <laughs> lessons they've got clarinet lesson they're doing uh, sports lessons um, do we do would, would the advice be to kind of right. Just take a step back, take your hands off your child's life and uh, and maybe don't sign them up for quite as much organized activity. What I see in my work is many kids who feel way, way over-programmed, who, who, who tell me, I just want time to myself. I just want to come home and play after school. And I think it's a very individual kind of thing, but I think so much is driven by, by, by so much of kids' anxiety is driven in part by, by our fear that if we don't, push our kids and we don't expose them to everything, we don't continually challenge them, that they won't be successful. 
And, and what, what our experience is, is that kids who constantly feel pressured or constantly feel that they have to be doing something, have to be engaged in something, and don't have time to unwind, and don't have time to play, or don't have time to just be in their own head for a while, those, those are the kids who tend to be more anxious as they, get, they grow older. Mm, mm. And I suppose it can be it can be the most well intentioned parenting that can that can create this anxiety in the sense that absolutely the parents want the best for their kids mm. they want their kids to have it to be successful they want their kids to be engaged in things that will enable them to be with other kids and absolutely it, it's all well intentioned but you know the part of the perception now is that that uh, that the world is more dangerous than it used to be. So we have to be much more careful, much more supervisory in our approach to kids where it turns out that it's just not true that most of us, as we say in the book, most of us are living in the safest time, the safest place in human history. And that the perception that I think the media probably takes care of this, but that the, that the perception is that it's so dangerous. And so we have to constantly be monitoring our kids and we couldn't let them go outside and play. And it turns out that it's just not true, but we have all this fear that I think probably gets translated in some ways to kids. I guess the, 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 the physical fear and your physical environment is probably a safer place. We're not going to be attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, are we? You know, those, those things have gone. But I, I, I guess there's a bit of a digital fear, increasing digital fear about uh, you, you can look out of the window of your kitchen and see your child playing in the garden. You know that they're in a safe place. But when they're on a, a screen, perhaps connected to the internet, it's a much harder thing to be confident about. I, I think that's a, that's a wonderful point. And, and certainly... The, the great, as I said, the great challenge now for, for parents is managing technology or help, helping their kids uh, is basically, from my point of view, is forestalling their kids starting to use it. I mean, when I when I when I see strollers now that ha- that have um, iPads in them, I mean, it's just it's just almost uh, beyond belief that that, that kids w- would need that. And I think that there's no evidence at all that young children benefit from technology, that they need it, that, they, that it, somehow that improves their development. And as I said, there's all kinds of evidence that face-to-face interaction is hugely important, that play is hugely important, that getting enough sleep is hugely important. And, and, and so for young kids, I mean, the, 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 two, the two best pieces of advice that I can give is to, to let them play. Three, three pieces of advice, let them play, to delay the use of technology, and make sure that, that they sleep until that, that, that ideally they sleep at night until they wake up. Because mm, um, mm. I guess they're going to, we're going to get technology. Everyone's going to be, get the technology at some stage, the nature of the way that the world is that, that, that we can't want to be able to avoid it. And I guess we've all at some stage maybe thought, Oh, I wish I didn't have the office ringing me on my mobile phone. When I'm, <laughs> I'm right. not there. Wish we could turn back the clock to a degree. But um, I guess with the kids, you know, you, if you can put it, you're saying if you can put it off, what, for like two or three years or just as well, long as you I, can? I, I think in America, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, it says, you know, that they really they shouldn't have any really screen time before age three, you know, and, and even at age three. I mean, it's still the most important thing for kids development. It, it's exploring the world. It, it, it's it's crawling. It's playing. It's running around. It's just using their senses to explore the world, as opposed to this very narrow engagement in a screen. And it's the face to face interaction. Mm, that's mm. what that's what develops that that what develops social competence. That was 
that's what develops the capacity for empathy for other people is that face-to-face interaction. And we see now even, even young kids, we, we see that, that kids playing and that their parents on their phone. And you're, as you're, you're saying earlier, you know, how much kids value playing and just knowing their parents are nearby, their parents are paying attention. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a, a report out today in, in one of the newspapers in, in the UK that uh, the effect of parent screen time has on the behavior of their children. So if you're a parent, for instance, example, and you're spending all the time on your phone, your child sees that is not getting interaction with you and therefore their behavior deteriorates because they're trying to gather attention from you. Right. Right. That, that, that's, that's very common. <clears throat> and we, we, in, in our book, we mentioned that this uh, a study that was actually done in England where, where 60% of kids, uh, uh, those 60% of parents felt that their kids spent too much time uh, in front of a screen and 70% of the kids felt that their parents did. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. That's yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, we, we, we've uh, spoken about that before, Bill, on, on the podcast in other in other episodes about the idea of actually setting an example and how we can. Uh, it's not something that I've really been very conscious of, but I'm, I'm now acutely aware of is that kind of double standard where we live to a certain set of rules, but we expect our child to live to a different set of rules. So, in the sense that I'll sit there and watch television for hours on end, but obviously, you know, Ben will get a five minute clip and that's it for the day. Um, right, and we're, right. we're not we're not we're not living to, to those same standards <laughs> well i mean i i think that um that our, our lives are different than our kids lives but i think that you, the point you're making about about modeling for our kids is is hugely important especially as they get older because they become so so aware of our hypocrisies um but but uh, but it, it, certainly kids feel it if if they're trying to get a parent's attention, just as you were saying, and we're preoccupied with with, with our phone, or and um, and so yeah, the technology piece is, is is the greatest challenge now for parents, and it, it just and especially as they get a little bit older, the social media part, um, and it's, I think the best advice I, I think again is is to try to forestall until a little bit until they're um, you know, four or five, um, and and then just it, when when we're when we're letting them use it. Let them understand that, that that this technology is is really cool, but we need to set limits on it because too much of it just yeah. isn't good. One, and, one, and, and, I was yeah. just going to say, sir, Bill, sorry, sorry to jump in. I mean, I, I feel like I have to play devil's advocate a little bit because while I agree entirely with um, with your point of view and, and, and the general general point, um, are we in danger sometimes? And I do feel because we, we've had this same conversation again several times. And I do, yeah. I do feel whether we're in danger of kind of blacklisting all technology um, and, and kind of ignoring, because I'm sure you'd agree that there are some benefits, certainly in, in terms of child development, perhaps not at the, at the very early stage, but in, in teaching children, you know, IT skills and getting them, yeah, it, technology can be of, of great use in certain, in certain respects. No, I, I agree with that completely. And, and yet the, the idea that somehow if they introduce, if we didn't introduce it to, to them early, they'll be better at it. I mean, the, one of the most popular schools in Silicon Valley here where all this technology was, was developed uh, is the Waldorf school, 
where kids don't use any technology and, and until, they're, until they're much older. And uh, I, I read an article where the, the executive, the, the parents, most of whom are, are these tech executives, were interviewed and said, don't you worry that your kids are falling behind other kids? And they say, we make this stuff so easy to use that our kids could, could catch up in a weekend. So I'm not anti-tech at all. I'm just saying that there's tons of evidence about how important play and face-to-face -face interaction are for kids. There's no evidence that, 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 that early exposure technology improves the kids' development. How, so how exactly? To... Sorry, Bill. I keep jumping in and interrupting. My apologies. No, no, go, go. But go, go. I, I, um, I was just curious because clearly we were talking generally about child child anxiety specifically, and if yeah, and what you've discovered in in all the work you've done in terms of the correlation directly between uh, the the kind of let's say the use of technology at a young age and increased anxiety. Well, I don't know uh, whether. Uh, I don't know whether that's been demonstrated in young children yet. Uh, one of the, there's a professor in California uh, who, who studied the effects of exposure to media uh, on kids' development for years. And he and his colleagues published a paper four years ago and basically concluded that, that, that the more time kids spend in front of a screen, the more mental health, physical health, behavioral, and attention-related problems that they have. And, and, and so that, that again, I, I don't I don't want to come off as a Luddite here <laughs> at all, at all. As you it's talk just, to us over a Skype link in the States, yeah. Right, right. It's tremendous. I look forward to watching. Oh, yep. This is. This is Ned back on. Oh, hi, oh, Ned. Hey, Ned. You're back. You're back. You're back. <laughs> you know, one thing about technology, I mean, is it seems to me it's a little bit like medicine, right? That in the right dosage, it has a benefit, but, but too much of medicine becomes a poison. And, and, the, and it's, and it's d the dosage for, for, for medicine for children is different from the dosage for, for, for adults. Um, so, you know, and, and, and the other thing is the, Amer the American Academy of Pediatricians talked about with, with all technologies in a perfect world, it's a shared experience. One of the things that's really hard, particularly for adolescents is, is when they're using technology in ways that are very isolating, um, both I'm on my phone and I'm ignoring the people around me, but also I'm on my phone and therefore I'm not spending time with other people. So I think with, with parents, with, with little guys, if, if we, you know, if we sit there and watch a show, much like we watch, you know, a, a children's TV show, if we do it together, but the idea of having a child sit there using some game on a, on a phone or a tablet, you know, by himself as a digital babysitter, I think is, a, is, is something we want to avoid as much I, as possible. I think that's such an important point because that's a, that's a debate I've had with, with family members of mine where there's this idea that if someone even introduces an iPad into the room, for instance, that somehow that's a negative. And, I, and that would always be my point, that well, if, if someone's going to sit in the corner of the room and not socialise with the rest of their family because they look at an iPad, that's negative. But if four of us are going to gather around something and laugh at something we're watching together, that to me doesn't feel quite so negative. So, yeah, so I've, um, I've got a pretty... We've got sort of a slightly no-screen policy with my... Uh, with my two and a half year old at the moment, and he doesn't really know what what's available on screens. He hasn't got watch, really watched the TV. Um, however, my wife is away with my uh, three month old in France on holiday at the moment, and it's just me uh -huh. and the two and a half year old. And we're talking to you uh, the day before 
uh, England soccer team's quarter final <laughs> World Cup match against Sweden, which is at three o'clock tomorrow. And I'm already thinking to myself, what if he doesn't have his afternoon nap? Am I going to sit and watch 90 <laughs> minutes of soccer with him? Or am I going to forego it? Yep, yep. Uh, I think I'm But that's a shared yeah, experience. If, if you sit there with, with him on, his, on, on your lap the whole time, I mean, part of it is he's not going to understand it a lot. But, it, it, but if he's sitting there, you know, on dad's lap and dad's having a great time, that feels great to him, even if he doesn't fully understand what's going on on, on the telly. No. Yeah, no, I have to say, actually, it's a really interesting point. Because, I mean, we're laughing about it, but it's a really interesting point. I've watched, uh, uh, you know, Steve and I are both massive. I'm sorry, I can't say the word soccer. I do apologise, but I can't No, football, do it. absolutely. Uh, no, Steve football. and I are both massive football fans. And I've been watching the World Cup, you know, religiously over the last few weeks. And what's amazing is watching Ben now, watching me watch the TV. So while mm-hmm. I'm, I'm watching the football, and he, he is ch- he's shouting along. You know, I'll, be sh- I'll shout something or exclaim at something that's happened in the game. And he's copying me. And we have a right laugh. We have a real laugh about it, you know, between him <laughs> and myself and his mum, you know, as he's copying daddy, shouting uh, like an idiot at the television. Uh, so <laughs> um, but, but I suppose that's the point. I, I, yeah. I guess I was so trying to make like that, that sort of... In, that's a slightly different situation because yeah. there's a screen involved in that, but that's still a, a that's, kind of bonding. Yeah, that's, a, that's a shared experience, yeah. not disappearing down like a rabbit warren of chat rooms yes. and, and, <laughs> uh, while locked in his bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's but the hardest film. thing to watch is for me is, is, is teens or, or, or preteens sitting there alone together, right? That's, that's, that's hard to watch. That's hard to watch. Where where we reach out, we each watch on our own channels, and and it's you know because you know it's one thing if you feel alone when in the when they're middle of the countryside and there's no one there, but to feel alone when you're in the middle of a of a, of a room or a, or a city, th- then you really then it, it then it really feels bad. Um, and so so yeah, it's something you know, and just so exactly that to make it a shared experience um, rather than an isolated experience, I think should be our should our, should be our goal. And that's the sort of mental health aspect, isn't it? I guess that. You know, if you if you your entire youth is built around looking at a screen and there is you're not really aware of the alternate way, then of course you you might end up with some mental health issues around use. But if you, I guess if you had it put off for a while and you've had a chance to become the person that you want to bec- that you're going to become a little bit, even if it's just the very start of that process, it puts you in a better position to to manage that other those other stresses. Maybe I think that's right. That's right. You know, and I mean, one, one thread that sort of, you know, connects where we started out talking about kids and activities and, you know, this technology in particular, um, particular social media is the idea of an, of an external locus of control, meaning is it something outside of me that's really in control? So if, when I'm doing sports, am I constantly looking to mom or dad or to the coach to say, did I do a good job as opposed to it's just play and I'm having fun? Right. So so when 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 we watch our kids, one of the best things you can do, particularly little guys, is to simply say it's so fun to watch you you play, you know, whether it's whether it's football or whatever it happens to be. And just so that they're enjoying the process and it's not constantly, you know, goal oriented or or, or I need to make this team or that team. It's just you enjoy playing it. 
And then with 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 all the things digital that with particularly social media that I'm constantly looking for likes or approval or what do do other people think that I look cool or or hot or whatever it happens to be. And so what, what other people think about me starts to matter more than what I think about me. And both of those are really ruinous because we have because it's so stressful because a single person can go "Mm," and sort of ding you online. And you have so little recourse and so little control. And, and we just, we don't want people to be constantly looking outward. We want them to be looking inward because that's how we, we, we develop our sense of ourselves and, and, and of the world. Mm. That's, that's, I mean, that's an incredible, it's, it's what we all want, I suppose, but it's so difficult to get there. And, you know, I, I remember being an adolescent myself, you know, as long ago as it was now, uh, long, long before the days of social media and uh, you know I, I remember finding it incredibly difficult for all the reasons you've just described and the thing that terrifies me uh, and I'm sure many other parents is no is having that memory of going through it yourself and just thinking how how much more magnified it must now be for kids of that age with social media and all the rest of it yes <laughs> <laughs> yes you know and and part of it you go back to Bill's point you know this idea that you know, watch your kids decide who they who who they want to be, right? And so, you know, I can remember some really dubious fashion choices that I made in middle school, right? But 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 there there isn't, frankly, you know, a thirty five year long digital track record of all my sartorial choices. You know, if I decided going into ninth grade, I was going to be a different clothes than eighth grade. All I had to do is change my change my clothes, and people like didn't that guy used to? But you can reinvent yourself. Where, you know, where, where social media, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I just, you know. <laughs> but, and I think, Go ahead, Bill. I, no, I, I just going to say, and I think that with, with young kids, you know, part of our emphasis in our book is on the wisdom of letting kids make the choices and, and kind of decide. And we, 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 we think it's really useful to say, even to, to kids who are three years old, to say, you're the expert on you. And nobody else knows when you're when you're when you're hungry or how much you should eat, and um, and as much as we can, letting kids choose. Do you want to do it this way? And what do you want to wear? Letting them pick their own outfits and, and expressing confidence in, in their ability to kind of make decisions and uh, not about things that they aren't mature enough to to, to make decisions about, but expressing confidence in them and respect. For them as, as individual people, and with, with, with newborns, you you have to adapt. I mean, some newborns are, are settled by by walking them or rocking them. Others by shushing them. Others you you have to put in the car the car seat and drive them around and fall asleep. And you 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 learn very early on that these are individual people. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and we, we want to model, we want to guide, we want to set limits when, when, when it's necessary. But as much as we can, we want to encourage that development of, I, I, I appreciate who you are. And, I, and the older I get, the more humble I get about knowing what's in a kid's best interest. Uh, because so, so often, you know, if a kid, if it's something that seems like a, a real disaster happens to a kid, that, that a year later you think, well, that that led to something good. You know, the, and so um, I think as even with little kids, we, we think it's it's useful to uh, as much as we can let them decide. Say it, it's your call. Do you want to do it this way or this way? Give the get get little, little kids options, you know, limited choices. And then as they get older, we want them to practice making decisions about their own life. So this morning, um, 
I was getting my son ready for nursery and I'd chosen his clothes for him. And I dressed him in those clothes. I got into the shower. When I came out of the shower, he'd gone and picked another pair of shorts out of his uh, <laughs> clothes drawer and asked if he could swap the pairs over. Yeah, um, so we did it. We did it. And then I showed him his new outfit in the mirror and he laughed. So <laughs> perhaps this is, the, this is the route to go. I mean, you have to be careful that he doesn't end up wearing a fire engine jumper every day for a year. But, um, right, 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 but right. Uh, you know, he, he, he yeah, makes those decisions, I guess, which is, I guess, from what you've just said, is a good thing to be happening. I, I, I love yeah, the idea. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the bit the, the, the bit I struggle with is that balance between there's there's got to be a line within that. I suppose that that I love the idea of giving Ben the freedom, even at his very tender age, to to kind of have a say in certain things. But when it comes to things like, well, I'm not going to eat that. I want to eat this. At some point, I have to be the one that's saying, no, you are going to eat that because you need to eat that, or no, you're not going to do that because that's not good. And it's uh, the the bit I think I often struggle with in in parenting because it is obviously still very new to me is finding that line. Like where where do you go? Where, where do you draw that line between giving your child the freedom to to make mistakes and and have their own decisions and saying, well, I'm the parent and this is how it's going to be. Right. And. You know, one of the points that we make in in our book is you really can't make a kid do anything. No. <laughs> in, in, in the sense yeah. that that, uh, that many parents say, well, I, I make my kid do his homework. I make my kid practice the piano. And we say, well, you don't really, because if the kid really wanted to fight you, all they'd have to do is slump down on the floor. And you're going you know, to pick him up and put him on the piano bench and move his hands. You know, that, and even, even with, with, um, with eating, you say you must eat this. You can't make a kid. You can force stuff into his mouth, but you can't really make a kid do. It. And I, I think as parents, if we make peace with the fact that we really can't make a kid do something, and we aren't supposed to be able to make him do something, so then we think. Then we think if if I, my kid doesn't want to eat vegetables, and, and rather than saying you must eat these and forcing him having a, a nightly battle, what we do is is is, is we, we say do, do you want do you want let's let's um, that uh, do you want do you want to have this vegetable or this vegetable? We, we build in as much choice as we can, and we realize that it, it's not something that we know we have to go to the mat about uh, every every day. That it can be a long term goal. That that getting to that to eat vegetables or to widen his palate is something that doesn't we don't have to go to the mat every day. They have to make a big stressful thing, and be, because and, and so for most of what we say in the book is the things that if there's things that we fight about all the time. Let's do it differently. It's struggling with you know, it's the same thing day after day just doesn't make sense. And go ahead. I guess if you gave a, a kid a bowl of chocolate ice cream or a plate of vegetables every day as a choice, they'd always go for the chocolate ice cream. So what you say to them is you don't put the chocolate ice cream there in the first instance. Uh, and, and you just sort of change their choice from what they can choose from, which is an interesting you know, concept you said about the, the vegetables. I think that's a really good yeah, way yeah. Of, of doing it. We've mm. we've said to, uh, it's really hot in, in London at the moment, and we've said to Jackson, um, ice cream's weekend. You have ice cream at weekends. You don't have ice yeah. cream's not, not a week. It's not, and I, he, I think he gets that. You know, he understands. Yeah. He might ask for it. But mm. he doesn't get it. Um, <laughs> right. He doesn't. He yeah, doesn't yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, and he. You know. He's a. The, the the choices. I think you can go down a rabbit hole with kids sometimes, and just keep. And they'll just go no, 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 no. But then I guess that's a slightly different, different mm. issue. Right. Right. And and you don't give them unlimited choices. No. Yeah. 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 
guys, I appreciate we've um, we've been talking to you now for about uh, forty minutes, uh, uh, which is bit, but it's been great. I mean, yeah, it's been really interesting. Really interesting, and um, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, it's, it's hopefully anyone listening can take away, from, you know, what I think I've taken away from it, which is, um, you know, you, you kind of just got to let a kid be a kid. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're not a, uh, you know, a, a, an Airfix model that you're putting together and, and trying to create <laughs> cre- create something. You're not trying to build something. Um, and you've got to remember that you get your pleasure as a parent from watching your child become a, a, a bigger child. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yes. Well said. Um, I, I, I worry we may have just oversimplified your very heavily researched book. I hope not. <laughs> but, say, say that again. I said I hope we haven't just oversimplified the book you've taken. You've put an awful lot of work into by saying no. let, let your kid be a kid. But I, I think that's the general that's the general idea, right? I, I think it's a general idea. Yes. <laughs> great, great guys. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Okay, yeah. and, and, the, uh, and the the guy's book's called The Thriving Child, and it's out now.